Hey there, Cremaholics. Welcome back. It is your host, Kenzie. I am here with another brand new Friday episode. On this week's episode of Cremaholics, I will be bringing you the unsolved murder of Karina Homer. I want to say thank you to Katie down in Florida for suggesting this case. If you have not yet gave us a case suggestion, please go to our Linktree website that you can find in the bio of our Instagram, and you can fill out a form to leave us a case suggestion. I love when you guys suggest these cases for us, so please be sure to check that out. Let's roll right into this week's episode. In the spring of 1996, a young Swedish girl unexpectedly wins the lottery and decides that she's ready for a major life change. She wins only about $1,500 from the lottery and spontaneously buys two flights to the United States and settles in the city of Boston. She would come to Boston to work as an au pair for an American family. What was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime turned into an absolute nightmare when she is murdered in the middle of the night in the summer and her killer has yet to be identified. In March 1996, after 19-year-old Karina Homer wins the lottery and takes the trip to Boston, Massachusetts to work as an au pair for an upper-middle-class family, she finds herself just not as happy as she hoped she would be. Karina got a job working as an au pair and or a nanny for a couple by the name of Frank Rapp and Susan Nitcher. According to the Boston Herald, Frank worked as a photographer and Susan worked as a very popular painter. Between Frank and Susan, they had two young children. The couple loved having Karina as their au pair as she was great with their children and always just had a bright cheery personality. She had a great work ethic and they never really had an issue with the way Karina carried herself as their au pair. Most of the time when someone is coming from another country to work as an au pair, they get registered with an organization for that specific kind of job. But for some reason, Karina never registered with an actual au pair organization, so it's unknown how she actually met Frank and Susan. In downtown Boston, Frank owned a studio that he used as his place to work. And on the weekends, Karina would typically go to this loft area of Frank's to be able to get away from the family and just have some time on her own, as she would work with the family Monday through Friday and she would always live inside the home during those days. When she was off on the weekends, she would go down and explore the city of Boston with several other foreign friends of hers, and they would typically party at several different nightclubs in the area. As of right now, everyone in Karina's life thinks that everything is just going great. She's having this trip of her lifetime. The family that she's working for really loves them. She's made friends, and it was even stated by the Boston Herald that Karina had actually even dated around a little bit. She had met several different guys in the city that she she casually briefly dated. Her family is getting letters from her and all of these letters that she's sending, she just sounds happy and things are going great. But as time would go on, these letters would begin to change. According to the Boston Herald, her family had received a letter from her one day that said she's not as happy as she would hope to be. The family is putting a lot of pressure on her. She's doing way more household work than she thought she was going to have to do. And she tells him that she's basically ready to throw in the towel and pack up and home. Shortly after her parents received this letter, a friend of hers back in Sweden gets a letter who says that it's kind of the same tone in the letter. She's not having a good of a time as she thought she was going to. The family's just not what she was hoping for and that something really bad had happened to her 
And she said that she was not going to disclose the information in a letter. She said, when I see you, when I get back home, we'll sit down and I'll give you every detail of what happened. It is currently unknown to this day what thing happened to Karina that shook her up so badly. But Karina would never make it back to Sweden alive. On the night of June 21st, 1996, as usual, Karina had met up with a few of her friends to go downtown to a nightclub called the Zanzibar. Everything that I have read about this nightclub called Zanzibar, it was a very upscale, kind of like a ritzy nightclub that a lot of upper middle class people had hung out at. Every one of her friends knew and were very well aware that Karina had just turned 20, so she was not even able to legally drink, but as most of us have, Karina had a fake ID so that way she was able to get into all of the local bars to drink. This night has seemed to be going like any other night that they had on the weekend. But on this particular night, Karina had gotten overly intoxicated and lost track of her friends. Now, I want you to keep something in mind here because this is 1996. This is the era before cell phones were major things in our lives. So it was probably very easily at this time to go out to a nightclub and lose track of your friends and not be able to get hold of them as easily as you could today. I mean, me and my friends, when we do go out which is not very frequent we do our best to always make sure that we stick together but there has been times where we had gotten separated but we were able to just pull out our cell phones and call each other but back then there was just no cell phones to be able to do that so basically you kind of just had to wander around in hopes that you would find your friends there has been several different stories about what happened to Karina after she had lost her friends. There was a witness who said that at one point Karina was so intoxicated that she had passed out in the bathroom of the Zanzibar and she was asked to leave by one of the bouncers. Whether this is completely true or not, there has not been enough credible information to be able to back up this claim. There has been people who said that they had watched Karina just leave the Zanzibar by herself and there was even witnesses who said that they saw Karina leave with a man. One witness stepped forward and said that they had seen Karina outside the Zanzibar talking to a car full of men and supposedly these men were trying to get her to leave the Zanzibar with them and go to another party but Karina had declined. But again there's just nothing to make this information very credible and nothing has ever come of any of the information. Again it was 1996 there was not a whole lot of technology and there definitely was not street cameras for them to be able to catch Karina on them for this to be backed up and used by law enforcement. According to CelebrateBoston.com, someone had reported to the police that sometime around 3 a.m., they had seen Karina talking to a man on the sidewalk who happened to be walking his dog that night. This didn't seem totally unnormal because lots of people stop and talk to people who are walking their dogs. The police really didn't think too much about this interaction. After the sighting of Karina with the dog, there was another sighting later that evening near a convenience store, which was about a mile away from where Karina was 
was at the Zanzibar. They said they saw Karina outside this convenience store and that would be the very last time that anybody saw Karina Homer alive. Things would take a very gruesome churn on June 23rd, 1996, just about a day and a half after Karina was out with her friends. A homeless man was digging through some trash bags of a dumpster in Boston's Back Bay neighborhood and I want to make note that this area is only about a mile-ish away from that convenience store where Karina was last seen alive. The man had been digging through the trash to hopefully find some cans that he could recycle for some money to buy food, but what he would discover was much more than he had bargained for. Inside the trash can, there was a black bag, and this was just a regular black trash bag. When the homeless man opens up the black trash bag, what he finds is the whole torso of a white female. The police start investigating very quickly to try and find out who this body belongs to because obviously it's not every day that in Boston they find a dismembered body of a young female. The police take note that the way this body was dismembered, it seemed as though this was somebody who knew what they were doing when they did it. The torso had been cut at the waist and the body had been separated by severing just one bone at the spine. So according to police, whoever did this, they had to have been somebody who knew the human body very well and thought that maybe it was somebody who had some type of medical background. The police had also noted that the initial killing did not take place where the body was found. The body had been dismembered, very cleaned up, and drained of blood, and there was not even a drop of blood found in the trash can. What's even worse is that the bottom half portion of the body, so from the waist down to the toes, has never been located, which means they were never able to determine if this body had been sexually assaulted or not. But because the head had never been decapitated from the body, it was able to be identified very quickly once the local police had spoken to the media and did a news conference. They stated in this news conference that they had found a partially dismembered body of a very young blonde female. And keep in mind again, at this point, it's only Sunday, so it's not typical for Karina to be back with Frank and Susan. But for whatever reason, Frank and Susan hear of the news and they call the local police and say that the body that had been found may or or may not be their Swedish au pair. After the police get this call, they get in touch with Karina's friends who were asked to come down to take a look at the body that was found, and very sadly, her friends were able to identify that it was in fact 20-year-old Karina Homer. The police first start investigating Frank and Susan, but after questioning Frank and Susan, the police believe that they have no real reason to be involved in the killing of their au pair, which is why police went back to the area of the Zanzibar to question people that had been there that night. That was when police were given the information that she had been speaking to several men in a silver car, that she had left with an unidentified man, that she had been speaking to the man who was walking his dog. The police were not able to track down the men in the silver car or the unidentified man but they were able to track down the man that had been speaking to Karina when he was walking his dog. It turns out that this man was not actually from the area where the Zanzibar was located. He was actually from about 30 minutes north of that neighborhood. This seems very odd that he's walking his dog at 3 a.m. in a neighborhood that's not his at all, but the police rule him out in connection to her murder because he actually got a speeding ticket that night on his way home, and the police determined there was no way he could have been able to murder Karina in the way that she was murdered based on him getting that ticket on his way home. 
But this still seems very odd that he's 30 minutes away walking his dog in the middle of the night in a neighborhood that is not his. Seems totally sus. The police are left at a dead end with no more leads to follow and no more credible information. That was until Monday night, just the day after Karina's body was found. There was a major dumpster fire behind where Frank and Susan lived. This really caught the police's eye because they were thinking, this is where Karina spends most of her time. Could the rest of Karina's body be in this dumpster? Or could some of Karina's belongings that never been recovered be in this dumpster? The police go to the dumpster fire and they put it out and they're sifting through whatever's left. And they're hoping to be able to find something that would link them to Karina. But nothing was ever found. And this makes them look back at Frank and Susan once more because it just makes them look suspicious. After looking back into Frank and Susan, the police make the conscious decision to talk to other nannies in the area who knew Karina and had worked with Frank and Susan before. None of these nannies had anything good to say about Frank, but what was disclosed about him specifically has never been released to the public. This causes the police to always keep their eye on Frank and Susan, but there has never been any evidence to be able to determine whether Frank or Susan actually had anything to do with Karina's murder. There has been several other names mentioned in connection with Karina's murder, but each one of these former suspects has been quickly ruled out, leaving Karina's murder a cold case since 1996. It seems as though the police have had tons of evidence to be able to work with, but they are missing the key pieces needed to identify Karina's killer. Since the dumpster fire happened that Monday, just days after Karina's body was found, there has never been any new evidence that has been found in the case and no new leads have come about. The police say this is still very much an open case and they will always continue to try and find Karina's killer and bring him to justice. As usual, if you have any information about the murder of Karina Homer, you are highly encouraged to call the Boston Police Department. Crimeholics, if you haven't already, I encourage you to join our Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at crimeholics.podcast where I will have pictures of Karina posted or you can follow me personally on Instagram at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I underscore. Crimeholics, as always, be aware and take care.